Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, happy Father's Day. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good? Hey, can I do something real fast? Greg, did you leave? Did you leave the building, Greg? Greg, come here for a second, buddy. I want you to give Greg a big round of applause. First, let me tell you why. Well, maybe not. (laughs) So he not only is passionate about worship being led here, uh, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, we were praying through about our Sherwood campus, which he has already mentioned and Tracy's already mentioned. We're celebrating one year, and that's a big deal. We did something that most churches would never, ever, ever recommend doing, and that started church during a pandemic, and so we started one. But Greg and his wife, Whitney, came to us and said, listen, we feel like we are being called down to Sherwood as worship leaders. So it was great to be led in worship today by Greg Manns, but it's greater. You should go down there sometime, like not as your permanent location, stay here, but, <laughs> but go down there one time. They are doing an amazing work, him and Keith Walton and, and the team down there, Jackie and all them. So I want you one more time to give him a big round of applause and thank you for everything you're doing, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. God, we're so blessed around this place. Um, as I was watching that video, all the services, if, if you're a guest today, we want to say thanks for being here today. We are in a new series. Um, we started a couple weeks ago called Epic, and I took two weeks and looked at Moses. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Moses. This today is probably good, my favorite story of all the stories in the Bible outside Jesus and what he did. This is probably my favorite story because I like an underdog story. How many people love an underdog story? So an overcoming story, right? Somebody overcomes great obstacles or whatever. And what I'm realizing, what makes epic stories in the Bible is that, that outcome of, of somebody that was challenged or somebody that's smaller or somebody that doesn't have all the skill set or whatever it is, and somehow or another they raise, uh, they raise bigger and better than the situation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But I was thinking about this. Um, um, how many people were uh, alive in 1999? And there's a lot like first service. Okay, so how many people weren't alive in 1999? Okay, so there was a couple of you. Welcome. You're going to be doing lots of this today, so you better get used to it. So... 1999 was one of the biggest, uh, it's, it's almost as big as Father's Day because, and we're actually celebrating it today. Today is the, the conclusion of the U.S. Open for golf. It's a big day. It's a huge day. Nobody else besides me. So I'm a big, who likes golf in the place? I love golf. And so who's going to be watching between that? We have a doubleheader of Braves today. That's fantastic. And we have uh, the U.S. Open. But in 1999, it was one of the most epic uh, things that happened. There was a guy by the name of Payne Stewart who was favored to win. He had won several different tournaments at that point. And Payne Store and, and a guy by the name, a little known guy, nobody knew about him at the time or barely knew about him. Uh, you probably don't even recognize his name. His name is Phil Mickelson. Anybody, like little guy. So it's 1999 and at the last hole, the 18th hole um, of, of the golf tournament, um, Payne Store drains this huge putt. It's for the win, right? And so you've probably seen this, this, this picture before. It's a picture, right? Actually, um, let me show you a little something. I don't know if you can zoom in. It's actually on my socks. So you can see it right there. There's Payne Stewart. That's how, like, this is a big day for me. And so, so he beat, but he beats Phil Mickelson, right? And so you, you, you probably, if you're into golf or sports, you've probably seen this picture. It looks like he's kissing him, but he's not. He's talking to him. And he's literally saying something that Phil Mickelson till this day says was the most profound thing that he's ever heard any other person say to him. And he said this, because Phil Nicholson came to the golf tournament with a pager. Some of you don't know what a pager is. A pager is a little thing that numbers come across, and somebody could throw that number in at you, and if there was an emergency or whatever, you would get, like, and it would vibrate, like, or it would go beep, 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 beep. You remember those days? 
So he had a pager because his wife was getting ready to have a child. And he knew that just like he was going to have to get on the plane right away. So he literally thought he was going to have to leave Saturday and not even play in the last round. So this is what he says. He he grabs him by the face and he says, the greatest thing that anybody could probably ever hear. He says, you're going to be a father. Like, don't worry about winning the golf tournament. Don't worry about the fact that you lost the golf tournament. The biggest life event that's about to happen to you is the fact that you're going to be a dad. Somebody say amen to that. That's like, still, like, I love being married to my wife, but I'm telling you, when I saw that first child that looked like a lizard, I was like, wow. <laughs> then you're special. And, and so, so that all happens. But one of the commentators, one of the commentators said that Phil Mickelson wasn't good to win any golf tournaments that he was never going to amount to much of anything. He was just going to be a kind of another flash in the pan. And it's interesting to me. I don't know if you know anything about Phil Mickelson, but at 50 years old, just a couple months ago, he won uh, the PGA Championship, which is another major. And I think that made his sixth um, major championship and 54 worldwide wins. I think he turned out to be okay. Um, I think he won the Masters twice or three times. Um, twice, right? And so it's like, I think he turned out okay. And the reason I love his story because he overcame what people said about him. And I think about it. We, we love an underdog story. We love, like if you're my age, you probably remember the 69 Mets. Like they had no, there was no reason they should have won, but they won the World Series. How about the Cubbies a couple years ago? They, they won. How about anybody like watch a movie of like Rocky Balboa? How I many, anybody? Yeah. yeah, see, like everybody loves a good Rocky movie, right? And so, but, and maybe it's, maybe it's in us. Maybe it's just kind of who we are. Maybe it's woven into, you know, our DNA that we like the underdogs. I mean, this country started as kind of an underdog, didn't it? I mean, we came over from England and, you know, against all odds and had, civil wars and all kinds of problems, but it's still the greatest nation in the whole world, isn't it? And so it's one of those deals. Or maybe, maybe it actually goes, you can, you can clap. You know. So, or maybe it goes back to our genes of our faith, because remember how our faith started with just 12 guys. Jesus told 12 guys to take it to the world, go and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing. And, and then one of the guys defected, like right before all this was going down. And then 10 got murdered like months after it happened. And one was ostracized, John, uh, to the island of Pathmos. Maybe, maybe that's because, maybe that's why we like an underdog story. And so today we're going to talk about it. Now, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you again. I want you to raise your hands real high. Maybe put two hands up. How many people love a good underdog story? Like, okay, so how many people like being in the underdog though? <laughs> See, that's, I knew that was going to happen. See, here's the deal. It's inevitable at some point in your life, you're going to be the underdog. It's inevitable at some point in your life, you're going to come up against a giant. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to be a financial thing. It may be a health thing. It may be a, you know, a, 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 a marriage. Whatever it is, you're going to come up against a giant. And I, I want to talk today about how, how do we handle the giant. Like my, my favorite story, I've, I've kind, of, kind, of, kind of walked all around this the last several months, and I finally just said, i got to talk about this because this is important because there's a characteristic of a champion that we see, David. We, we go right to the end of the story, and if you don't know the end of the story, the end of the story is the greatest underdog story ever written. Uh, this little, small, you know, complexion, little boy that was tending sheep, 17 years old, goes up against this huge giant and he beats the giant. But I don't think it was, that's not the beginning of the story. That's kind of the end of the story. Because I think there's some characteristics that were in his life, things that he learned, lessons that he had to get, walk through in order to be that champion. And I believe that every person in this room, every person watching online, if you're down on our Sherwood campus, I think every person has the potential to be a champion. But I'm not sure every person is willing to do what it takes 
to be a champion. So what I want to talk about is I want to get a couple things in our kind of in our vocabulary, in our mind, the things that champions do. And here's the first thing that I think all of us got to get. Champions will have to face a crisis. At some point or another, if you're going to be a champion, there's going to have to be a crisis before the champion happens. Before, before anything ever gets, you know, before you get the big belt around your waist or the, the crown on your head, whatever it is, you have to have and go through a crisis. We see this. The nation of Israel was literally going through a crisis. The crisis was this. There was a Philistine army and it was a Philistine man, Goliath, that was bigger and larger than life and that they had to conquer. And for 40 days and 40 nights, we're going to read about it, this giant taunted the children of Israel. Okay? So, the first thing I want you to, if you're a note taker, champions face the crisis. But here it is. I want to give you some characteristics of a crisis that we have to understand. First thing, the crisis is always larger than life. Whatever the crisis is, it always seems bigger than it really is. 1 Samuel 17, 4. You can, um, if you have a Bible, open up there. We're going to stay in this chapter uh, and, and read just this whole chapter today. Okay, so here we go. Verse 4. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits. Don't get freaked out. I'm going to explain what these things are because they're not weights and measures that we use today. Uh, whose height was six cubits and, span, and a span, his helmet of bronze on his head, and was armed with a coat of mail and weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and, and, and his spear had weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. Okay, so let's break this down. This is where it kind of gets weird. This is where like that culture and this culture kind of don't collide. We don't understand weights and measures. Um, theologians say that this Goliath was somewhere around the, the, the nine to 12 foot um, big span, I know, but it's nine to 12 foot tall. So how many people would say, yes, that seems like a really big crisis. That, that's, that's what seems to be larger than life. Not only is he nine foot tall, his shield was 500 shekels of bronze, okay? It's an equivalent, that just the thing he carried in his hand, 125 pounds. And then his spearhead was another 600 shekels of iron, which is about 15 pounds. Now, I don't know about anybody else. Anybody ever, ever try to throw something that's 15 pounds? If I'm trying to throw something that's 15 pounds, I may make it to you. And it's only if I do both hands like this. His spear alone was 15 pounds. They don't even account for the weight of the rest of his armor. Now, I'm thinking David looked at him and said, you know something, this crisis is larger than life. This crisis right here, I don't know that I can beat. That's, I understand why the Israelites are surrounding him and not going into battle. In our lives, we have to understand that our crises at times are going to seem larger than life. What, here, here's the deal. Have you ever gone up against a health problem and you hear the C word or maybe somebody in your family hears the C word and right away, what happens? You see the big giant, it's insurmountable. It seems like it's larger than life. And every time that word, you almost cringe back. Uh, how about in your relationships? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a failing marriage. Maybe that's what the giant looks like. And to you, that thing seems to be larger than life. And you know what else the giant does? It defies our power. That crisis, that giant continually taunts you and defies who you are, who you think you are in God. In verse eight, it says, he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. 
He says, why have you come up to draw up for a battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come, come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be the servants of, uh, and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that, 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 that we may fight together. When Saul and his Israel heard these words of Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Anybody ever been that? Dismayed and greatly afraid? That thing, that health problem, that relational breakdown, that, that, that what, whatever that looks like, that job that you didn't get, it seems like it almost taunts you. It's sitting there like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Now, I don't know what your giant is. You walked in, I walked in today with a couple giants. You walked in with a giant because life happens, doesn't it? So you walked in with it. What is it saying to you? What are you listening to? And let me tell you something. This is another thing. The crisis will not go away until you deal with it. At some point, you have to face that crisis. At some point, you have to look at that. You may not be able to look eye to eye, but you have to look at that thing and say, you know something, you're not gonna keep doing, listen to what it says. It says, now David was, was uh, the son of somebody from Hephzibah <laughs> in Judah named Jesse. He had eight sons. In the day of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons, Jesse, had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of these three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, and next to him was uh, Abendab, Abracadabra, and the third was Shammah. Verse 14. David was the youngest, the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and he took a stand morning and evening. Let me tell you something. If you don't deal with the giant, it will deal with you. If at some point you don't stand up against that giant, it's going to keep coming after you. It'll look, you can't ignore it. You can't pretend it's not there. It'll haunt you until you face it. So what's your giant that you need to face? And here's, here's, here's something I've learned. Um, the problem is most crises are easy to ignore at first, aren't they? Because they start small. And then what starts to happen is as we ignore them, they get bigger, they get bigger, they get bigger, they get bigger, they get bigger. I have never had anybody in my office, relational breakdown, maybe a marriage breakdown, that said, you know something, all of a sudden, just all of a sudden, it's just one day, all of a sudden, it was over the last five years or after the last 10 years, we stopped communicating. We stopped having, we, we stopped having conversation. We stopped dating. I, I had a, and, and it was funny because I was in, I was in um, Publix on, um, I think it was Thursday or Friday. And I've been doing something with my wife. I've told you, I just ain't to brag. Um, but like I get my wife flowers all the time. Not, even if I'm not in trouble. Because it's just, it's something to do. It's something, it's the right thing to do. So this, this lady's walking and she looked familiar and she probably, she, pro she probably comes to church. She's probably here right now. And she, she's like, Hey, how you doing? I said, yeah, I'm doing good. And, and it was a little, like awkward moment, right? And I, I said, she, she goes, I see you're getting flowers. And I said, yeah. And I couldn't remember if she came to journey or not. So I was like, yeah, I get my, I'm trying to be a, a, a big deal. Like, so I said, yeah, I get my flowers, uh, get flowers from my wife almost every, she goes, oh, I, we know, you know, like, I've never had anybody on my office go, you know something? All of a sudden, I don't know what happened. It's the same thing with health. It doesn't happen with your health. There's always telltale signs along the way that something's not right. You know something's right. Right, guys? Right? We wait to the worst case scenario and we go, oh, I think we're sick. It's in every, financially, 
You don't, like, you don't wake up one day and go, okay, I'm going to waste all my money. It's, a, it's over a period of time. There's a little spending problem, a little spending problem. And before you know it, you're in debt and you, don't, you can't pay your bills. It, that, that's what happens when we don't ignore the crisis. Eventually, it's going to seem bigger than life. Eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overtake us. How do we respond to it? Well, I think there's some things there again that David did. So in the midst of the crisis, this is how David, he arrives at the scene, he sees Goliath, he makes his challenge, and he sees the Israelites that are overcome with fear. And he goes, you know something? I can't do this. I, I serve a much bigger God. This is what he says in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills? I love this because he's asking a question and he's going, okay, what's going to happen when, when I win? He goes, I want to know what the spoils, well, what were the spoils? I, I have confidence. I love this. I have a, not an arrogance. I have a confidence. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For, and I, I used to make fun of this statement. I used to say that he was messing with his manhood. I don't think anymore that he's messing. I think there's part of it. He was kind of trying to get his thing. He goes, for who do you think you are, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I used to say, well, he's messing with the manhood. That's what, what's the last statement? He said, who do you think you are, you uncircumcised felon, to stand against the armies of God? See, he knew his, Goliath was big. Everybody knew Goliath. Goliath knew he was big. But you know what David was saying? My God's bigger. My God. See, in our world, what we live in, we look at the giant, we look at the mountain, we, we look at the problem, we look at the Red Sea, whatever you want to call it, and we go, oh, it's so big. It's so big and hairy and audacious, and look at how big this thing. And what David is saying, whoa, 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 time out. We can, I, we, you guys got to stop looking at this giant like he's this huge thing. Our God's way bigger. Do you remember? The, I can almost hear him going, do you remember the stories? Do you remember what happened with our grandparents and our great-grandparents and the people that descended before us, how God moved? That's the God that we serve, and he's going to do it again in this moment with this giant. Stop walking away. Gosh, almighty. The best response to a crisis, in my opinion, is to understand that our God is bigger than the problem. And our God is bigger and big enough to take care of whatever giants are in front of us. Which leads me to the second thing. Here's another characteristic. You're going to have a crisis. But champions don't happen just all of a sudden. Champions, you're going to have critics. You're going to have people come against you. You're going to have people say that that's impossible Champions don't listen to critics. Champions don't listen to the, to the people on the fray. Uh, we've talked about this before. Could you imagine, like, go back to e, uh, Israel when they were, if they would have listened, if Moses would have listened to the children of Israel, they would have gone back to Egypt. People will lead you astray unless they understand the spirit of the living God that's inside of you. And you can't expect non-religious people to understand religious things. You can't, you can't have a spiritual conversation when, on, with people that don't understand spiritual concepts. Some of you are going, Ooh, that's going to be I remember trying to tell people that God was speaking to me about starting a church. I remember trying to tell people that God was telling me not to drop the ball with Sherwood. A year and a half or two years ago, they took the vote and they voted no. And you know what God told me? Whose report are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to that report or are you going to listen to my report? Because I'm telling you yes. And I told our staff, until God tells me no, we're marching forward. That's how confident we'll be. Well, I told people that didn't understand, people, business people, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can I ask you to understand something when you don't understand spiritual matters? 
And that's what, that's what David was dealing with here. Champions don't listen to critics. I love what Robin, uh, Robert Heinlein says. He says, always listen to the experts, okay? Because there's a lot of them, aren't they? If you can write a book now, you're an expert. If you have a social media outlet, you're an expert, aren't you? You may not be an expert in anything, but you're an expert in whatever you think you are an expert in. But this is what he says. Always listen to the experts. They tell you what you can't do and why, and the best thing you can do is do it anyway. If you attempt anything worthwhile, you're going to have people, critics, that come against you. He had it three ways, by the way. He had it, he had it from Goliath, who was taunting him, right? He had it from the Philistines. He had it from his brother, and we're going to read about it in a second. And he had it from Saul. Saul tried to put armor that was too big on him so he can go into the battle. And he literally said, I haven't even tested this stuff yet. How am I supposed to go to the battle? I can't even walk around with this stuff. Listen what it says, because here's the deal that I've learned about critics. You want to write this down. This is really important. If God's going to ever give you a dream, you're going to have to go through this. Critics are always obsessed with the trivial. Not the big picture. It's all the little small things. It's what I used to say years ago when I was a, 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 when I was a pastor that didn't have a filter. It's they pole vault rabbit turds. <laughs> they, they find the little rabbit turd and they try to make a big deal out of it, make it like a mountain. It, 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 I like that saying. I'm going to start using that again. My wife is in the back going, no. 26, verse 26. Read this with me. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And, and the people answered him and said um, the same way. So, so shall it be done to the man who kills him? Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard what he had spoke to the man. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You know what he's saying? He said, you are, okay, anybody ever ride past an accident and you have to slow down? And you have to just kind of, what do they call that? Rubbernecking? Rubbernecking? That's what he's accusing his brother, his, that's what he's accusing David of. He said, you're just down here to see, you're just down here to see the fight. You're down here to see all the blood. And the small thing that he was worried about was the few sheep that he left. Now for 40 days and for 40 nights, this huge behemoth Goliath was yelling and screaming, taunting and killing. And he was worried about this little situation that there was some sheep that were left out in the woods. And see, that's so typical of critics. Critics have the amazing ability to focus on the trivial and neglect the crucial. They're always dealing with the trivial. Not only this, critic, critics believe the worst about people. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I, I've watched this happen. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother in verse 28, heard what he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the, in the wilderness? I know your presumption and evil of your heart, for you have come down to, just to see the battle. I know the evil in your heart. I, I know what you're doing. I know, I know who you are. I know how evil you, he was pointing out evil. And here's the deal. Hatred, you may want to write this. Hatred is the coward's revenge of being intimidated. Hatred is the coward's revenge for being intimidated. That's all they can do. And, and here's what I've learned. The criticism uh, others serves, the, the criticism of people uh, is generally to camouflage or a smokescreen for the things that they're not doing. So you're talking about all the things, how you're doing it wrong, you got evil in your heart, and end up, these are the people that don't do anything. 
I remember a few years ago, and it's been several years now, um, and if you've been a journey any length of time, you know um, some of the ways we do church is different than other churches, and that's fine, man. It's like, this is us. We're fine with us, right? Like, we know our thumbprint. We know our DNA. Like, like the, the, the opening segment, like, with Tracy, when he said dump, <laughs> I about came unglued. I, I thought... I thought I was going to wet my pants and I was going to have to go change before I came up here. Now, in some places, that would be offensive. At Journey, it's just, welcome to Journey. Yeah. Right? Welcome to Journey. Like, welcome. Good morning. Um, but so this lady walks up to me and just says, I really need to have a, a spiritual conversation with you. And, and really what she was saying is she wanted to rebuke me. And she said, that's what she said. She said, your methods are elementary and you are, you are leading people astray. You are a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's, that's exactly what she called me, wolf in sheep's clothing, clothing. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, she talked about how you're leading people to Christ, how you're leading pe people to Christ is very elementary. And I said, okay, so would you enlighten me? Because, you know, I have a filter. And I said, so would you, would you enlighten me? And, 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 and why don't you tell me how many people you've led to Christ and, and your method? She goes, well, I've never led anybody to Christ. And I said, I like my way of doing it way better than your way of not doing it. Somebody go, somebody go, woo. And you know what I realized? Smokescreen for not doing anything. And you know, what? we used to call them around Journey, we used to call, anybody ever, ever been to the aquarium? You better, any, any aquarium, they all have them. Those things called blowfish? That's what I, that's what I call them in the church world. They look good, they look good, but they don't do anything. They go, <laughs> they follow the world, look how big I am. This is how we used to do it at the other church. We'll go back to the other church then. Because that's not, we, we don't do it that way here. But what I'm learning is critics, it's a camouflage. Listen, listen to what David's response. I love David's response. David's brother criticized him for going to beat, wanting to beat Goliath, to get this Goliath out of, out of their life. In verse 29, he says, and David said, I love how he responds. He goes, what have I done now? Was it not by, but a word? And, and then he, watch this. this is, and then he turned away from him toward another and spoke it the same way that people answered him again before. He literally said, talk to the hand. He said, if you're not going to pay attention, I'm going to talk to somebody who can pay attention. I'm going to talk to somebody who will gather my dream. I'm going to talk to somebody that understands spiritual matters right now. I'm going, to talk to, I'm going to talk to somebody that sees the big picture of what's going on. I'm going, to, I'm going to go to somebody. I'm going to talk to somebody about how to plant a church. I'm going to talk to somebody about how to plant another church that knows how to do it and sees and has faith that, 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 that a church can do something like that. That's what he's saying. In your life, your Goliath, your critics... Do you have long, lengthy conversations or do you just say, talk to the hand? I'm going to talk to somebody that understands healing. I'm going to go talk to somebody that understands miracles. I'm going to go talk to somebody that understands how to beat Goliath. You can be sure when you start to accomplishing anything great for, for God, you're going to be cr criticized by people that do nothing. That's a fact. Let me give you a third thing. Now, this one's really important. Some of you are going to go, well, I never thought about that. Champions enter the contest. Up till this point in the story, all he was was a young boy with a big mouth. All he was was somebody who had big dreams. Now, I'm going to tell you something. 
Even if he walked up to fight Goliath and got killed, he did more than everybody else did. So by that point alone, he was a champion. Like he did something. I mean, we celebrate people in our country and we should celebrate people in our country that give their lives, lay down their lives for the, for the rest of humanity. And if you're one of those people, we wanna say thank you for doing that, right? You're a champion. You're not a champion if you come back alive. You're a champion because you've sacrificially gave. So even at that point, when he walks up against Goliath, even if he loses, he's a champion at that point. Until David stepped on the battlefield though, he was just a chump. He was just a kid. See, here's the deal. And I want you to get this because this is really, really, really important. David is going to establish the grounds for the battle. Anybody remember a guy by the name of Muhammad Ali? Anybody remember him? So he was a boxer, right? If you don't know who he was, he got, he got titled with the phrase. Everybody thought he's the one who gave it to himself. Actually, uh, Frazier gave it to him. Um, the, the, what, they, what they called him was he, he's the greatest. He was the greatest of all time. I am, and so he walked around after that saying, I'm the greatest because that's what some other boxer said to him. But he used to do this thing called the rope-a-dope. Anybody remember watching the rope? So what he would do is he would lean against the rope, right? And he would just let the other people come to him and they would box themselves out. They would literally box themselves out where they were so tired they couldn't throw any punch. And then at that point, he would just pow and knock, knock the person out. How many people remember a guy by the name of Mike Tyson? Anybody remember Mike what did Mike Tyson? He never waited for the opponent. He ran across the ring, and when he got to the other side of the ring, before the guy even had a, a chance to kind of look, he was already pounding on the guy. They were establishing the terms of the battle, and David is establishing the terms of the battle. And he says, listen, we're not going to fight the way you're used to fighting because you'll win that way, but I'm going to fight with God on my side the way God wants me to fight. And watch this. Verse 38. Then Saul, remember I said that he had, he had, there was critics, there was people coming against him. Saul was going to be one that was going to make fun of him. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go. He said, for, for, he said, tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them all off and then he took his staff in his hand, right? His shepherd's staff. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The power of God was demonstrated through the, the Moses' staff. He took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them into a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So how many people are in the military? Raise your hand if you're in the military. Raise your hand. Just a couple of them in the service. First service, there was a few more. Okay. Really poor plan. I want the biggest gun I can take. Right? And I want the armor and I want also. But he wasn't going his own power. And he was establishing what the fighting plan was. This is how we were going to do it. We're going to, the terms of the battle. And David also refused to be intimidated. And watch this. David stood face to face with Goliath in verse 44. He says, then the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give you flesh, your flesh to the birds. I love this. This is like, this is Braveheart stuff right here, y'all. Like every dude in this room should be like, Aah! don't take your shirt off or anything, but just <clears throat> come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Man, I would think that that's a, that's a fight you, you don't want to pick against God. And then he says this. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I'll cut your head off. I love that. I'll strike you down. I'll cut your head off. And then you're not dead yet. You're going to be dead in a minute, but I'm going to let it go slow. It's going to be good. 
and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that the Lord uh, is, is a God of Israel. And then, I love what he says, and then all the assembly may know, verse 47, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, but for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He said, I'm going to establish this. You're not establishing this. I am. And God's already here, and I got him on my side. How about you? How about when you're going up against a giant? Are you trying to do it on your own power? I have nothing against medical doctors. I have nothing against the stuff that goes on in the world that we live in and books and self-help and all that. But that should be our last resort and our first resort should always be God. It should always be God. And that's not a slam on anybody in any, any community, medical community, because, man, I'm thankful for the medical community we have in our, in our country. But I'm telling you, he says, I'm going to establish the terms of the battle, and God's got this one. God's got this one. Now, get, I'm going to give you the last thing, and we're going to close right here. So they go through a crisis. There's critics. They got to get involved in that battle. And the fourth thing is this. Champions embrace embrace the challenge. Several years ago, I was at a conference. John Maxwell was there. I don't know if you've heard of John Maxwell. He writes, writes a bunch, bunch of books. And it was a pastor's kind of a gathering. There was about 40 pastors of churches kind of like ours. And, um, and uh, Craig Rochelle was there from Life Church. And Andy Stanley, you probably have heard of Andy Stanley. He's got a little church over in Atlanta that runs like 35, 40,000 people. Just a little small church over there. And so he was one of the things. And well, it was right after an election. It doesn't make a difference what election was. Um, but it was right after the election. And one of the pastors, not one of the speakers, but one of the pastors made a comment. And he said, but I sure wouldn't want to be the incoming president with all the stuff that's going on in the world we live in and how bad the economics are. And John Maxwell swung around. And I, I've never heard somebody so direct. And he goes, you better believe that they can't wait to get in there because champions embrace a challenge. And he said, he's where he's at as a president because he loves to be in charge. Anybody ever watch the movie? It was an old movie with, um, what was the guy's name? Gene Hackman and uh, it's called The Replacements. Anybody remember that movie, The Replacements? What was the guy's name? Reeves. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, him. This, this is the phrase. Winners always want the ball when the game is on the line. You know what? I get bored if there's not a challenge. I get bored if, if we're just going through the motions. I honestly think that was one of the hardest things during COVID because there was no advancement. We were kind of just, we were in a circle. We were just kind of circling. Just kept circling the airport. 20, you know, keep going around. 20,000. I love a challenge. I embrace a challenge. Champions embrace challenges. What's the challenge that's in front of you that God's wanting you to embrace? Watch it with verse 48. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to, to, to meet David, what does it say? David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He didn't wonder if he was, uh, he ran to him. He ran right directly to the battle. He went right to Goliath. And he says, David put his hand in his bag. He took a stone out and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and fell on the face of the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and then and it struck the Philistine and he killed him. And he says, there was no sword in the hand of David. Watch this, verse 51. Then David ran again and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. 
When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I bet. They probably messed her britches too because they were so scared. They just saw this little 5'4", ruddy complexion, 113-pound kid beat this behemoth Goliath. And yes, it says, then everybody, everybody worshiped that Lord, the God of David. Here's the deal. And think about your situation. Goliath, Goliath thought he was too big to get killed, right? He thought he was invincible. Hey, the Philistines thought that Goliath was too big to be killed. That they were putting all ox, sock, and barrel on that Philistine. The Israelite children looked at Goliath and said, he is too big to be killed. And then David looks at Goliath and he says, he's too big to be missed. There's no way I can miss this guy. He's huge. All I got to do is take the stone and throw it. Just throw it in the direction it's going to hit him. How about your giant? How about your giant? How big is the giant? He's so big that you can't miss him with God on your side. That's how big he is. Cancer, in the name of Jesus, you are smaller than my God. Somebody say amen to that. Somebody say amen to that. Cancer is too small. Divorce is too small when it comes up to my God. Relational breakdowns are too small. Kids going astray are too small. All that stuff in light of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is small. We can't miss it with God on our side. Somebody say amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, it is not by might. It's not by power. It's by your spirit. That's what the Lord said. By your spirit that these things come down. It's not by a shouting preacher. It's not by good music. It's by a real God. And we're thankful that real God went to the cross for us. And the biggest Goliath that we had was sin. And you went to the cross and you took sin for us. While we were yet sinners, you took our place. And we got to say thank you for that. Thank you for beating that Goliath. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're fighting sin. You're fighting addiction. I want to give you just a word of encouragement. Give it over to Jesus right now. Let him have it. Have a conversation. You have a conversation with him right now in Jesus. And say, I have, this, I have this sin, I have this issue, I have this addiction in my life, and I, I need you to break it, God. How about that marriage? Are you willing to give that to him right now? The, 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 God, God I, give you, I give you my failed marriage. I give you my failing marriage. It's not failed yet, but I give you my failing. I give you this problem. I give you this struggle right now. I give you this sickness right now. I give it to you. God, I'm thankful that I serve a giant killer. And I thank you. This story is epic, not because of David. This story is epic because of you. Because you are, you are the hero of every story. And this leads us down the road of seeing who Jesus is and how he killed, he killed the giants in our lives. We thank you. God, I thank you for this moment right here. I thank you for these stories. But most of all, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that was with us today. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. 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 Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.